Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, standing, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. 1 through 13, and then pastor has a message, how to triumph over temptation, how to triumph over temptation. So I looked around, I see Charlie and Becky here this morning. God bless you guys, it is good to see you, and Edgar and Betty are back, and um, so many, you know, it's great to have... So many of our church family back together again. God's done great things and never forget what he's done in our midst. Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone, that it may be bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it, if thou therefore will worship me, and shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and sent him on a pinnacle of the temple, And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation. He departed from him for a season. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word and that we can stand on your word. Father, as the ladies sang this morning, carry me, Father. And so many times that is the cry of our heart. And Father, this morning, I do pray for Greg and Dawn and for the Byler family and ask God that you would be with them in a very special way in these days to come. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. And Father, we thank you for the promise of eternal life. Now we ask God that you would bless our pastor, anoint him with the power of the Holy Spirit of God as he brings forth the message you've placed upon his heart. And in all these things, we'll give you the thanks and praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Frank. And we are following the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings this year. Uh, Simply put, because the body of Christ ought to be like Christ. Amen? Amen. And if we want to be a place where people can find the help and hope and home, uh, and by the way, all of that is found in Jesus. Amen? Amen? And so if we want to be a church where people can find that, well, then we need to be like Jesus. And so we're studying the Lord Jesus Christ and his life in this gospel. And uh, praise God uh, that God has given us a pattern to follow. And that Jesus is that pattern. You know, there was a popular book written several decades ago 
uh, called In His Steps. How many of you are familiar with that book? The, the little phrase, what would Jesus do, uh, kind of came from that book. And that's not a bad question, what would Jesus do? Though I think as Christians, we have a better question that we could ask. And that question is this, not, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do, amen? And uh, we really don't have to wonder all that much. We can open the book and look and see and follow the pattern that he has left for us to follow. And so we are following the life of Christ so that we can learn from him. We can be his disciples. We can be more fully formed into his image. And this morning, we're going to be studying the temptation, the testing of Christ in the wilderness. And so what we find is that Jesus was led, of the led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And point of clarity here, uh, Jesus was not tempted of the devil uh, so that God the Father could discover what Jesus was really made of. No, we have this recorded for us, and, and, and Jesus was allowed to be tempted of the devil, not so that the Father could see what Jesus was made of, but rather to provide a declaration of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, amen? And so also he might demonstrate to you and I how we can overcome the temptation that we face. You know, the Bible is clear that as powerful as some of the testing and temptation we face can be, we do not have to yield to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 makes that abundantly clear that God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I want us to know this morning as we begin to look at Luke chapter 4 that this is an important passage because God still desires his people to live victoriously, to live holy to live righteously in the world that we are in. And praise God, Jesus shows us how. So let's jump in this morning. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 4 together. The Bible says this, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, uh, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jump down to verse 13, if you would. The Bible says, And when the devil had ended all, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Number one this morning, if you're taking notes with us, I want us to notice the affliction of temptation. The affliction of temptation. Christian, we cannot afford to live like temptation doesn't touch us. If Jesus faced testing and temptation, guess what? You and I will too. The Bible teaches, if you look at James 1 in verse number 13, the Bible addresses not if we are tempted, but when we are tempted. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget. But we have got to wake up and realize that every day we live in a battleground where we will be constantly assaulted with testing and temptation. 
To live ignorantly of this vulnerability really is to live on the edge of destruction. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, that let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. You know, we all face temptation and testing from the lost world around us. You cannot escape the friction that is found in the incompatible operating systems of the kingdom of our God and the kingdom of this world. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, you know, I'm on the straight and narrow and the world's on the broad way and they can go their direction and I'll go, go mine. And we kind of have this idea that we're on like two highways that are divided by this median area. and They'll go one way, we'll go the other. And I mean, that would be all, I guess, well and good if that was the case. But, but that is not how this works. Give me some help. Eric helped me this morning. Uh, Ken helped me this morning. Let me see. Robbie helped me this morning. Josh helped me this morning. You've been driving. No falling asleep. Roger helped me this morning. Frank helped me this morning. Christopher helped me this morning. All right, guys. I need you guys to start right here. You good? I got bad news, guys. You're not headed towards heaven. You're headed towards the sound room. Okay? Does everybody understand the illustration? Right, all right. So you guys are going down this road. Hang tight. So a lot of people, you get it in your mind. Well, you know what? Everybody headed to the sound room. No, everybody headed towards hell. Well, they're going down that road. Guys, go ahead and walk that road. But I'm not. I've trusted Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Boy, isn't it nice? Hey, guys, you should come over here. Hey, oh, man, you know, like, look at them. They're way over there. And, and, but, but, boy, aren't we glad we're on this road? Now, that's not how this works. Wouldn't that, I mean, that would be nice if I just had this big old broad road. You guys can come back. I'm not going to send you all the way there. But we're not done. We're not done. You see, we're not separated by this divided highway. No, we live on the same earth. Amen? We, we, we face living in a fallen world. So as I, as a Christian, come on, guys, come on, guys. As I, as a Christian, walk towards the cross, guess what? I'm not walking by myself. I've got to to walk through all of the friction from a lost world. Oh, man, they put them in the back. (laughs) I've got to walk through the friction that living in a lost world creates. It's not easy, amen? You see, the lost world, you know what? They don't have the same perspective on money and things and success that the Bible tells me I need to have as a Christian. The the, the lost world doesn't have the the same perspective on, on the goals of life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness that I ought to have as a Christian. The lost world doesn't share the same mindset on humanity, on, on sexuality, all of those things. And so literally, as I seek to follow Christ... I am living in the friction of the world around me. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes, did you notice? Come on, come on, especially you two guys. Sometimes, hey, isn't it easy? Come on, guys, come on, big guys. Isn't it easy sometimes to get tired of fighting? And isn't it easy? Well, you know what? You know what? I know it wouldn't really allow me to follow Christ, but I'll do that thing that will make me more money. Go ahead. Come on, keep coming. You know what? I know it doesn't really let me follow Christ, but you know what? You know, boy, they look like they're having fun over there in the world. 
It gets hard sometimes, don't it? You see, every one of us, thank you, gentlemen, you may be seated. Every one of us, look at him. Most of them, oh, Eric, you turned to follow the cross. Good man. All the rest of them, there's no hope. Sometimes we wonder, why is it so hard to follow Jesus? I'm going to tell you why. Because you cannot escape the friction of living in this lost world. And the principles of following God and the priority of following the world, I'm going to tell you, they will never, ever, ever be compatible. This world is not going to share the same perspective that we have won't share the same priorities that we do. And it is so easy sometimes to get trampled by the loves of this world. And you know what? That causes us to draw back from the love of the Father. 1 John 2.16 reminds us this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Now here's the problem. You go back one verse earlier, verse 15. We're told to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if any man love the world, what is it? The love of the Father is not in him. They are incompatible. And I'm going to tell you, moving the direction of this world will not lead you to holy living. It will not lead you to triumph over temptation. We all face tempting and temptation from the lost world around us, but I'm going to tell you, the situation gets more dire than that. We all face temptation from the spiritual foe that's against us. You know that there is a very real devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything God has for you. If he can steal your soul, he wants to steal your soul and take you with him to the lake of fire. If he cannot have your soul, he wants to rob you of everything Christ has for you in this life. We face a very real spiritual foe. The devil is called a crafty foe. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 11 and verse number 3, we, talk, we see how the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, his craftiness. And you know what? There, there is the reality that he desires to subtly corrupt us from the simplicity of Christ as well. He's good at what he does. Revelation 12 and verse 9 talks about the great dragon, the old serpent, which deceiveth what? Deceiveth the whole world. He's a crafty foe. He's a powerful foe. Revelation 12 and verse 3 de describes the dragon as having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. He is a merciless foe. 1 Peter 5, 8 talks about him as a roaring lion. Walking about, seeking whom he may what, church? Devour. You see, we face a very real spiritual foe. He's crafty. He's powerful. He's merciless. The devil doesn't play fair. The devil and his demons desire to steal, kill, and destroy, and they know how to get it done. He is a master advertiser. He is a master manipulator. I'm going to make this statement. I want you to think about it. The devil and his demons have a plan for your life. And that ought to alarm you. Consider the affliction of temptation. We can't live like it doesn't touch us. We live in a lost world. We have a very real spiritual foe. But I'm going to tell you this morning, the devil is not your biggest problem. The devil is not my biggest problem. You know what my biggest problem is? Me. Me. You know what your biggest problem is? You. 
James puts it this way, James 1, beginning in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted, cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when? When he is drawn away of what? His own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, Christian, hear me this morning. Considering the affliction of temptation that we all face in this life, you know what? There's a very real world that seeks to draw you away from Christ, but your biggest problem is not the world. You have a very real foe who seeks to deceive and devour you, but your biggest problem is not the devil. Your biggest problem wasn't the way your parents raised you. It's not your wife or your husband. It's not your kids. Your biggest problem is you. You know, nobody had to teach me how to do wrong. As a parent, I, I see very clearly, nobody ever had to teach my kids how to do wrong. We never had sin lessons in the Holmes household. Never once. And I find it amazing how quickly elements of sin are manifested in the lives of the little ones. So Timothy is like 15 months old. He has reached the point where if he is not happy with you, he will look at you and go, ah! <laughs> Excuse me? Nobody had to teach him that. Christopher never sat down with his brother and said, Timothy, let me teach you how to be selfish. When mom and dad want you to do something that you don't want to do, buddy, this is what we do. Follow after me. Ready, Timothy? Ah. <laughs> Nobody ever gave the kids sin lessons. Why? Because it comes natural to them because we all have this. That flesh is that part of us that naturally deviates from what is right, that naturally desires and even delights in what is wrong. Hear me, you are your own worst enemy. And you are your own biggest problem. And we're going to start here this morning because we need to be honest about our flesh. Your problem may be different than my problem. You know, there be Hebrews talks about sins that so easily beset us. Some of us, our biggest problem might be pride. Pride's a pretty big problem. Some of us, our biggest problem might be lust. Some of us, our biggest problem might be an addiction or a bondage like Brother Mark was talking about earlier. Some of us, our biggest issue is our flesh thrives on gossip and drama and friction and contention. I know that's nobody in here. You know what? Your flesh may struggle with things differently than my flesh, but the reality is... Your flesh is your biggest issue. And the danger is we can grow accustomed to it and let our guard down. But remember, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him that thinketh he stand, what? Take heed, lest he fall. So consider the affliction of temptation. If Jesus faced temptation, if the devil only departed from him for a season, then guess what? You and I will face testing and temptation too. But I want you to see something else this morning, not just the affliction of temptation, but I think it's important for us to understand the avenues of temptation. Look back in verse number 3, and we'll read through verse 12. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. 
And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by every bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taketh him up into a high mountain and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power, authority will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I, will, I, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So we've seen first the affliction of temptation that we face. Secondly, this morning, I think it's important for us to see the avenues by which we face temptation. So we've seen the who of temptation, but now we see how. How is it that we are tempted and tested in this life? It's important for us to know, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, that, that we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. So I want to notice a few of these avenues. First of all, consider with me that temptation often comes through my fleshly appetites. Temptation often comes through my fleshly appetites. The Bible says Jesus was tempted with hunger when he was pretty hungry. I mean, he had fasted, the Bible says, 40 days. I cannot imagine fasting for 40 days. I mean, 40 minutes is sometimes a stretch, amen? What we find here is the devil often comes to us and seeks to tempt us through our fleshly appetites. Now, I'll give you a couple of thoughts this morning about appetites. Appetites that we experience are God-given. The appetites that we experience in this life are God-given. Appetites were given to us by God for our good. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 reminds us that, that, that our trust is in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The idea of asceticism, which is just a fancy word for like severe avoidance of all enjoyment, is not a virtue. You are not a better Christian and you are not closer to God just because you choose to deny yourself all enjoyment in life. So asceticism is not in and of itself a virtue. But here's what happens. The devil wants to take God-given appetites and twist them and pervert them into things that are sinful, selfish, and destructive. The devil wants to take our appetites and leverage those appetites, twist those appetites to doubt God's provision. By the way, God has provided avenues to uh, uh, provided righteous arrangements in order for us to meet our earthly appetites. You think about the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, hunger is not a 
fault of sin. The Lord told them in the garden before sin. They could eat of the fruit of the trees, right? And God has promised to provide us our daily bread. If you think about our physical desire for rest, I'm going to tell you after the trip, I just wanted to rest. Amen? Somebody thought, I thought it was a good idea to take the flight out of Florida that left the airport at 5.30 in the morning. Not that I arrived at the airport at 5.30 in the morning, that my plane took off at 5.30 in the morning. It seemed like a good idea at the time, did not seem like a good idea when I had to wake up at 3 o'clock, but I digress. The, the desire that we have for rest, guess where that comes from? It came from God, and God gave us for provision. He gave us a day of rest, amen? Modeled that for us in the creation week. You even think about the physical appetites that God has given. God has given us marriage, amen, as a beautiful way to fulfill those appetites. But the problem is appetites are powerful. And the sin is not that you are hungry, but that you are willing to get your fix with your feet under the devil's table. You either learn to control your appetites or they will control you. And I'm going to tell you, the devil might offer you instant gratification, but the devil can never offer you true and lasting fulfillment. But you know the beautiful thing about our God is that our God is faithful. Amen? Our God is faithful. Psalm 37, 25 reminds us that I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God is faithful to us. And the devil looks at Jesus and says, Oh, if you're really hungry, ah, just command this stone that it be made bread. But like Jesus... We need to choose to trust our Father's provision. So we see the devil tempts us through our appetites, but the devil also tempts Jesus through ambitions and allegiances. I'm going to kind of summarize the last two. Jesus was tempted to jump off the temple. Well, what was the point of that? Well, that would provide probably a spectacle in order for Jesus to gain an adoring crowd. And Jesus was tempted by Satan to worship Satan in order to receive the kingdoms of this world. In other words, Satan tried to play on Jesus' allegiance to the Father, tried to play on Jesus' ambitions. It was a temptation to quick success. A temptation to happiness without the hard. A temptation to the crown without the cross. You know, this temptation may manifest itself in several ways, but bottom line, it becomes a, the lie that I deserve more, that I deserve better, or even that, you know, God only wants for me my best life now, no matter the cost. And when we buy into this temptation, we make decisions that, Seek the most money, seek the most stuff, seek the most respect, seek the most tangible success, seek the most opportunities, seek the most comfort, seek the most power, etc., etc., etc. Because I deserve more or better than where God has placed me now. And we see in this temptation that Satan desires to leverage our ambitions against the plan of God. Now, help me this morning. God is good. Amen. Amen. 
Romans 12, 2 reminds us that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable. Amen? But could I get a witness this morning to the fact that sometimes, though God is good, and though God's will is good, sometimes God's will is hard. <coughs> sometimes God's will leads through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God's will leads into the fiery furnace. Sometimes, as in the example of Jesus, God's will, He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness where He was called to fast for 40 days. Christian, we must remember that the call to take up one's cross is not a call to ease. It's not a call to comfort. And it's not a call to prosperity. But so many believers have bought the lie. How do you know that, preacher? Because I look out on an American church where most Christians are more devoted to their standard of living than they are to their Lord and Savior. Church, sometimes God's will is hard. I'm going to tell you, the devil will offer you an easy way out. The devil will offer all sorts of opportunities and circumstances and things. You know, just, just pull back. Come my way. Worship me, he says. Sometimes God's will is hard. But here's the thing. You can completely trust your heavenly Father. And you can completely trust His plan. Psalm 37, 23 reminds us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And He delighteth in His way. Church, Christians, our call is not to successful outcomes. Don't buy the lie. Our call is not to successful outcomes, but to simple obedience. Jesus demonstrated for us that it is never right to operate contrary to God's plan, no matter the opportunity, no matter the outcome. Jesus, you could be Lord of the world now if you just worship me. It is never okay. To operate contrary to God's plan, no matter the opportunity, no matter the outcome. By the way, Jesus' earthly ministry from a human standpoint did not end successfully. From a human standpoint, it ended on a cross. But spiritually, we know it didn't end there. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, church, if we're going to address these avenues of temptation, we need a change of focus. Stop trying to figure out what our best life now would be. Stop trying to maneuver and manipulate to get all we can and can all we keep and, and, and drain all of the fun that we can out of this life. No, we need to change the focus. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 reminds us that we are to trust the Lord with all our heart, to lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, we're to what? Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. Be not wise in our own eyes. Boy, that's hard to do, isn't it? 
Because I always feel like I have a pretty good plan. God, and if you would just take what I have figured out, God, do this. This is, this is good, God. He says, no, what I have is good. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Life is not about lifting up self. Life is about lifting up the Savior. God honors obedience, not outcomes. Seek His will be done in your life. Trust the Father's plan. How does the devil tempt us? How does our flesh tempt us? What are those avenues of temptation? Our appetites, our allegiances, our ambitions. How the devil wants to play on those. So we see Jesus was tempted in another, a number of ways like we are. But I love the fact that we don't just see the affliction for temptation. We don't just see the avenues of temptation. Aren't you glad this morning Jesus gives us the answer to temptation? That Jesus shows us the answer? Look with me. Well, actually, we'll, we'll go through it kind of as we go through it together. Jesus demonstrates that the Christian life is not marked by freedom from battle but by victory in battle. And here's the good news. When Jesus was tempted and tested, Jesus did not fall. Jesus did not fail. <clears throat> and praise God, I don't have to either. Praise God, you don't have to either. Christ in me is enough. And he gives us here some keys to victory. Look at verse 1. Jesus being full of the what? I know, preacher's been preaching a long time. I know, I can't believe he's only now just gotten to point three. I know you're angling whether or not the Methodists are going to beat us to the buffet this morning. But come on, church, say it with me. Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. Boy, that's good stuff, isn't it? Verse 14. So it's all said and done. Verse 13, devil leaved him for a little season. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So hear me. What's the answer to temptation? What are the keys to walk in victory? Number one, walk with God. Walk with God. I cannot stress how important our personal walk with God is. Jesus' demonstration of victory began and ended with being led of the Spirit and walking in Spirit power. Can I break it down real simple? If you want to walk in victory, you need to walk with God. You need to be in this book every day. You need to spend time in prayer every day. You need to learn to develop a life of God, of God consciousness, a habit of God consciousness in your life. You know, sometimes it's so easy. Even if we do our devotions in the morning, we put it down, we have our prayer time, and then we go through our day, and we don't think about God again until it's time to pray for our food. Oh, no, 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 no. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always with us, amen? So maybe we should learn not to spend six, eight hours at a time ignoring him. Learn to have our spirit commune with His. Boy, every moment of every day. Spend time in this book. Spend time in prayer. Spend time uh, thinking of and being with God. <coughs> Spend time in conscious surrender to Him. You cannot neglect your relationship with the Lord 
and expect to walk in victory. How you want to, how are you going to walk in victory? Learn to walk with God. Learn to get to know Him as a good Father. Learn to get to know Him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Learn to get to know Him as the comforter that lives within you. Learn to walk with God. I'm going to tell you, prioritize that relationship. Can I stop here this morning and briefly say, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, there really is no relationship with God until you have received Him as your Savior. Until you recognize the fact that your sin separates you from God. We have all succumbed to temptation. And our sin separates us from God. Because I'm a sinner, I can't get to heaven on my own. But God loves me so much that since I couldn't go to Him, He came to me. God loves me so much that even though the wage of my sin is death, He died on a cross, took my death, and offers me His life. Loves me so much that three days later he got up out of that grave. And he stands today with the promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So many people stop knowing about God. Knowing about God isn't going to get you to heaven one day. So many people stop just just feeling God speak to their heart. I'm going to tell you, feeling God's draw in your heart isn't going to get you to heaven one day. you got to receive him. Receive Him. Receive Him by faith. Putting your faith and trust in who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And what Jesus has done. Do you want to walk in victory? Learn to walk with God. Some of us this morning, we know our walk with God is not what it should be. But the beautiful thing is, getting right with God is but a prayer away. When we decide to draw nigh to God, what does He do? He draws nigh to us. So what are the keys to victory, church? What is the answer for temptation? Jesus shows us, first of all, that it is our walk with God. Say it with me. What's that first answer? What's that first key? It is our walk with God. But He gives us another one. Amen? Not only does Jesus demonstrate our walk with God as an answer for temptation, Jesus also shows us that the Word of God is an answer for temptation. When Satan tempted Jesus in verse number 4, Jesus answered, saying unto him, what are those next three words, church? It is written. Verse number 8, we see Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. And verse number 12, we see Jesus answering, saying to him, it is said. Another way of saying, it is written. I love this. Jesus is the living word. But Jesus, the living word, demonstrated that spiritual victory for us is going to be directly tied to the written word of God. I love the fact that Jesus didn't debate the devil. Jesus ended the debate with the Bible. You know, if anybody could just make it up, Jesus could have just made it up. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus left us an example, a pattern of the power and priority of Scripture and spiritual victory. You know, when it comes to this matter of spiritual warfare, Scripture is one of the only 
effective offensive weapons that we have. Ephesians 6 and verse 17 in this aspect of spiritual armor and spiritual warfare reminds us, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what, church? Which is the Word of God. By the way, when Jesus quoted Scripture to the devil, how did the devil answer? What was the devil's response? How did the devil counter or, or parry that by Jesus? He didn't. The devil had no answer. Because the light of this book is what overcomes darkness. Scripture is the truth that overcomes lies. The Bible teaches how Scripture directs us. It cleanses us. You will not win without the Word. The Bible makes us blessable. Joshua 1.8, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, James 1 and verse number 25. The Bible makes us blessable. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. It is God's literal manual for living. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished to all Good works. Peter reminds us that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It is God's literal manual for living. The Bible makes us ready for battle. So get in the book. Spend less time on Facebook and more time with your face in the book. Spend less time checking your DMs. Because we have a direct message that is far more important than anything anybody's going to send you over social media. The answer to temptation. Number one, we find it in our walk with God. Number two, we find it in the Word of God. Number three, very quickly, I'm almost done, I promise. We find it in the worship of God. Verse number eight, Jesus mentioned this, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. With this thought, Jesus really begins to shut the whole thing down. God alone deserves our worship. What is worship? Worship worship is the acknowledgement or demonstration of the worthiness of someone or something. When Jesus said God only, he is saying God alone. It is not that other things in life don't exist. He is simply saying that when it comes to God, there is no competition. Mark 12 in verse number 30 tells us this truth. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. There is no competition. It's not that I don't love other things or other people, but when it comes to God, hear me, there ought to be no competition. That word only there in the Greek is the Hebrew word manos, from which we derive our English word monogamy. So think about it this way. There are more than one woman in the world, right? There, in fact, there's a couple of here today. <laughs> but when you consider mon- monogamy in marriage, 
It's not that other women don't exist. But for me, it is that there is no comparison to the one I get to call my wife. You think about that. You know, church, I don't know if you knew, but I'll tell you, I am not on Christian Mingle. I'm not there. I don't have an account. I'm not on Upward. I'm not on eHarmony. I'm not on Farmers Only. I'm not on Silver Singles. That's for old people. Older people, sorry. Some of you might be there. I'm not on Silver Singles or Our Time. That's also for those who are mature. So, um, I mean, if you're single and you're out, you got options, I guess. I'm not on J-Date. That's for Jewish people. I'm not on Catholic Match. I'll stop there because I don't want to get in too much trouble. I'm not on any of those sites. You know why? Because I'm not looking. My cup is full. Oh, other women exist in the world, but for me, there's no comparison. You think about it. Living life in this world, so many things will call for our attention. But when our adoration is fully given to Jesus... We don't have room to give that kind of attention to anything else. The answer for temptation, keys to walk in victory. Learn to walk with God. Learn to use the word of God. Learn to worship God. Him alone. You know, you can't escape temptation in this life, but praise God, you can overcome it. And Jesus shows us that while we, Jesus shows us that we are not victims of Satan and we are not victims of our circumstances, but we are to be victors through Christ. This morning, I don't know what your struggle is, what your temptation is, but I do know what your answer is. His name is Jesus. And I'm going to tell you the greatest love for the church and the Christian is that we would fall in love with Jesus again. He is enough, Christ in me is enough. Christ for me is enough. I don't have to fall. I don't have to fail through him. I can triumph over temptation. We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. We all face temptation, amen? And so we all need to meet with God about making sure that we are triumphing over temptation as we ought. If you're here this morning and you recognize there's a lot of sin in your life and you have not triumphed over temptation, I want to tell you that with Jesus there is reconciliation. That when we repent and confess our sins, there is restoration that takes place. Proverbs reminds us that if we cover our sins, we won't prosper. But if we confess and forsake them, we'll find mercy. John reminds us that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of us this morning just simply need to come and get right with God.
and commit to walking in principles of victory again. If you're here this morning without Christ, come this morning, get saved, get my attention, get someone's attention. We'll have them take this book and show you how you can have your sins forgiven. How to triumph over temptation. Praise God for the example he left us.